and then we'll get into our exciting, exciting, fascinating. <laughs> it's one of the things I I love about teaching through the scriptures is that we have to talk about stuff we don't always want to talk about because it's healthy for us, right? It's like when you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, "I've got to tell you what's happening." It may not be what you want to hear, but it's what the deal is, you know. So. Um, our God is good to us. So. Matthew 5, verse 1. Ooh, look at that. <laughs> Fancy. <laughs> okay. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of heaven. And so blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, you, you are the salt of the earth, but, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in the heavens. See, don't, don't think that I came to, to just destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, which is literally a word that means empty-headed, he shall be in danger of the council, the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire, of Gehenna fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. Because it's more profitable for you that one of your, your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, it's been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her 
to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Again, you've heard it said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, don't swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you can't make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, don't turn away. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You see, he, he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on both the just and the unjust. For if, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let's pray. Um, Father, I'm not, I'm, I'm fairly confident that if we're honest with ourselves as we read the text here of Jesus teaching, about what the kingdom of the heavens is like, about what the, the people are like who are in that kingdom. Um, we have to be, I, th I think, if we're honest, we have to be aware of the reality that um, if it were up to us and our ability and our strength and our obedience and our keeping of the rules that we all would be excluded. And so it brings us back to this place where, like we sang, we, we, we are people who rejoice that your grace flows down and covers us. What's more, not simply covers up our sin as if it didn't matter, because it does. But the blood of Jesus, so much better than the blood of bulls and goats that could never take away sin, His blood removes our sin from us. And by the power of your Spirit, you come and live in us and you transform, you write your will, your law in our hearts and in our minds. So, Father, would you, would you course correct where necessary? <laughs> Lord, give us wisdom, not only in how we can navigate um, through our own lives and the, the mess of our own hearts, but also so that we can be a boon, a help, a benefit, a blessing to our families and to our neighbors and to our enemies. Even when that enemy is somebody in our own house.
Lord, give us wisdom. Fill us with your grace, Lord. <laughs> Speak, Lord, please. I pray that you do it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, guys, look with me again, everyone, at uh, beginning in verse 27. Remember, Jesus is speaking to a multitude of Jews here at the beginning of his uh, public ministry. He's been baptized by John the Baptist, and now he's sort of laying out what the kingdom of the heavens looks like. Okay? And this would be, at first, a great encouragement to those hearing it. So, <laughs> yeah, um, this would be a huge encouragement to those hearing the beginning of his message as he begins, and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Anybody in Israel who was wanting to do what is right and may be suffering because of that, that's great news. <laughs> right? That's a boon to them. And then he goes on and points out how he hasn't come to destroy the law, rather to fulfill it. And he begins to use himself as the point of authority for his teaching, so that he's not, uh, he's not simply saying, here's what some other rabbi said, even though that was the common form of teaching. They'd refer to the Talmud or the Mishnah or to some other rabbinic writing or some other rabbinic teaching, and that would give authority, it would give weight to whoever was speaking by doing what we call appealing to authority, right? You appeal to someone else who is an authority on an issue, and that's supposed to settle the debate, right? And so instead of doing that, Jesus is speaking, and he, he refers to himself as the authority. He says, this is what you've been taught, but I say to you, and that's why at the end of this, when we get to chapter 7, there at the end of chapter 7, all the crowds that are hearing him are like, whoa, we've never heard anybody speak like this with this kind of authority. Okay. Because he is who he is. <laughs> He's the king. Um, and, and matter of fact, in John's gospel, he refers to um, the threefold witness of authority, why people could believe his his uh, message, things like that, and we'll get to that when we get to John's gospel. But the cool thing is today we get to talk about adultery and divorce. Cool. Uh, seems like these two uh, parts of the text are linked, linked together. The first um, paragraph there that deals with adultery uh, is followed by, in verse 31, the verse that says, furthermore, it has been said, right? And it, that furthermore links the conversation of divorce, it seems, with this earlier conversation of, of uh, adultery. Um, we have lots of names for adultery. We have like the nice one, like they had an affair, or, you know, or whatever. It's like the polite thing to say, you know, uh, whatever. But um, one of the things that has always struck me about this text is that um, Jesus reveals to us that adultery is more than a physical act. It's also a reminder to us that sex itself is more than a physical act. Right? Um, as a, a, you know, um, sort of a materialism, materialistic mindset might suggest that we are just animals and sex is just a purely physical type of thing. It simply is um, the reality of that is, is denied by watching the lives of people who, who, whose lives are destroyed, who emotionally, um, spiritually are bankrupt so often because they've given themselves away, you know, so frequently, so, uh, through sex. So, um, before we get to the adultery and divorce, well, you know what? Never mind. Not before we get to that. Let's start with adultery, and then we'll, we'll, Jesus moves to divorce. So then we'll look. We'll look it up. We'll kind of look that up there. He he's asked very directly about divorce later on in Matthew 19. So we're going to also look at that because the Pharisees they were trying to trick him. So they asked him very directly about um, sort of what he viewed about divorce, and and I really like what he says there. But let's look at the adultery thing. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery, right? Adultery would be sleeping with somebody else, having sex with somebody, you know, we have these euphemisms, right? Sleeping with, like, okay, it's having sex with somebody uh, who is not your spouse, right? It's a very simple way to put it. Um, maybe we could say very directly, it's having sex with somebody who is someone else's spouse, right? In a more generic sense, uh, we might use the word fornication to refer to having sex with somebody that, that is not your spouse, right? That you aren't married to, so... Uh, fornication is simply a more um, 
broad term for sexual morality. Uh, the Greek word is pornia, which is, of course, where we get our word for pornography from. comes from that word, a uh, very generic word for sexual immorality. It encompasses many, many things fall under that umbrella of pornia. So, you've heard that it was said, verse 27, to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. <laughs> I don't know, and, and maybe this is because of the advent, uh, not necessarily, but certainly the advent of the internet has made it much easier because pornography is much more accessible now, but I can't help but look at this, deal with this in the reality of pornography. He's saying, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, desiring this, this body for yourself, then you, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. Right? The physical act simply follows that, right? It's just like with, with murder. Murder follows the internal uh, uh, act of anger, right? The internal motivation, attitude of anger, which then in, in the right opportunity uh, and um, given the ability and opportunity results in murder. And the same uh, with this issue of adultery. Uh, while um, some may not be guilty of the actual act of adultery, the physical act of adultery, um, I grew up in a time when, I mean, I remember being in, I think it was middle school, probably, when we all had dial-up and AOL. You know, you got those free discs or whatever on AOL. Um, and and uh, things became very dangerous because I could, we could look up anything we wanted. We could search for, find a website for anything that we wanted to find, you know. Uh, first time, and, and please understand, I am right now very directly talking about pornography okay we'll talk in a more broad sense uh in just a second but um i think that you can't really talk about looking at a woman with lust in your heart at another person with lust in your heart without talking about adultery or pornography sorry <laughs> right it just is so obvious right so that's why i'm dealing with it first um the first time i was exposed to pornography i think i was In talking to many men who are my age, I am pretty confident in saying I don't know one who has never seen or dealt with pornography. It is pervasive, widespread. Not to mention the cultural implications that are involved in all of that, like the... the um, manipulation of women to bring them into that culture um, uh, by offering money um, whatever you've heard it said that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Um, we could talk about, and, and later on there's a couple places where we will, not today, we will another time talk about the ability that a woman has, and, and please don't misunderstand me, this certainly can apply to men as well. Um, the ability that we have with our bodies to elicit attention with um, the to elicit a particular type of attention, maybe I should say, with the way that we act, the words that we speak, the way that we dress, right? So that potential is there. Jesus isn't dealing with that at all right here, and so I don't want to talk about that right now. That's a whole different conversation. Because the issue of lust and, and whether it results in adultery or whether it results in something like rape or in some other t form of sexual sin, it is a, an issue inside the person who commits that act. Regardless of, of, of how the person is speaking or dressing or any of that, none of that matters. None of that has ever is an invitation to say, do what you want with my body, right? 
one of the things that I've noticed is that um, one of the things that pornography does is it teaches you to think of a human body as an object, as a tool for your own pleasure, not as a person. And that's really dangerous. Not only as it relates to the the uh, act of sex, but it's very dangerous as it relates to like violent crime. That's why you know when people talk about rape and they talk about um, chemically castrating rapists and things like that. Like, it's, it, it that's not the point, right? You can do that all you want, but rape is very frequently about power, about strength. You can you can chemically castrate people all you want, but, but that won't change their desire for power over another person. I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. (laughs) I'm a guy, in case you guys didn't know this, um, just wanted you to know, um, so, so obviously my, my perspective is, is limited to, um, um, to my own experience in many ways. So, um, this reality I know can be true for women as well, right? So, so we could also say, if you look at a man with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with him with lust. You've already committed adultery with him in your heart, you know, um, and it causes me to question things like the, you know, when you see somebody and you you need to take a second look, you know, a third look, whatever. Real subtle things. And then I say, Lord, Lord, you need to check my heart. And then the other side of this is that because this is true, it creates a whole other set of issues. Like for those of us who are married, where where if we struggle with or have given ourselves to pornography um, or to, let's broaden it now, to to adultery, um, even if that adultery is... is uh, rooted in, in like, uh, started in maybe a business relationship, you know. Um, that then becomes something inappropriate because of desire in the heart. To lust for her. And, and we know the stories, you know, there's struggles maybe or difficulty with people with, with marriage at home and so you share something with a coworker or with whoever and this person listens to you and they give you the attention that you're craving at home from your spouse that you're not give, getting or whatever and so this, this relationship, this desire begins to develop for that person. And it's true not only for men, true for women as well. It certainly can be true. If your husband isn't doing what you want him to do or what, what you like and, and you begin to invest in another relationship with a, a different man. Whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Because we say we like to say, well, I mean, I've never murdered anybody. Well, I've never had sex with anybody else, whatever, you know. Jesus would say, you miss the whole, the heart, you miss the whole, the whole point. And sex is so much bigger than, an adultery therefore, so much uh, larger issue than just the physical act, even as murder is. So Jesus gives us a remedy. <laughs> It is drastic, and rightly so. Um, (laughs) 
if your right eye, verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. <laughs> and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Oftentimes in Jesus' teaching, he would use a uh, device, teaching device, that we call hyperbole. Hyperbole. Now, there's some over the years that have suggested that Jesus says this, so you need to do it, quite literally. If you find yourself given over to lust, you pluck your eye out. If you have issues with your hands, with putting them where they shouldn't be put, you cut your hands off. There's some who've taken these to be quite literal. I think that uh, I think that understanding uh, that uh, this this seems to be uh, hyperbole, right? He's using a very drastic illustration um, to make a, a very direct point. And the point is simple: is deal with it, do whatever it takes. If you need to cut off a relationship, cut it off. If you need to get a new flip phone that doesn't have any internet on it, get it. An old flip phone. Because <laughs> you know, we have all our secret ways to do things with our in-private browsers and all of that stuff, you know. Um, Paul says in uh, Romans 13... I think it's applicable here, certainly. Oops. It's already passed it. In Romans 13, um, Paul's encouraging us to walk out our faith, and he says, and, and do this knowing the time, in verse chapter 13, verse 11 of the book of Romans, and do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. A statement that is true for every generation for all time, right? The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly. As in the day, not in, revel, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You know, we're good at making plans. We're good at making ways for us to uh, get away with things, right? <laughs> so when you, you find yourself uh, doing that, it's a very simple idea of, of saying, don't, don't make provision for your, for your flesh, for those carnal desires. Don't allow yourself the opportunity. Make drastic changes where they are necessary. Uh, set up accountability things. Talk to people, you know, um, Confess your sins, which is a normal part of the Christian life. Confess to one another, right? And this is why having small groups of people that we can have real conversations with this is why it's so important because um, I'm not asking you to come up here on Sunday morning and be like, hey guys, you know, here's my deal or whatever. But if you have a group of people that, that will hold you accountable and they can talk to, then you can say, man, this is, I'm dealing with this and it's hard and I need help and, and, um, and I'm failing, you know. Put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. There are uh, certainly uh, few warnings in the um, scriptures. Um, one I think is quite interesting is Proverbs 6.32. It says, that's Solomon writing. <sighs> Fascinating, it's Solomon. The guy had a thousand wives and concubines, right? And people are like, well, you know, you talk about sexual ethic and how important that is or whatever. Well, you know, the Bible has a bunch of polygamy in it. 
It does. And it shows us how jacked up it is all the time. You read those stories and you're like, man, everybody's life is a mess, bro. <laughs> like all these tensions with children with different spouses you read you know david had several wives and you read like what happens with david's children between the children he has with different wives and all of that man it is horrifying to think of that but it happened the bible reports that reality never not once supports it whoa i didn't even know i could do that it reports it it doesn't support it. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> That's where some people get confused when they read the Bible because they're like, well, this, I see this in the Bible, therefore God's okay with it. Like, no, man, a lot of the Bible is, is just narrative. It's just telling the stories of what happened. It's like a reporter saying, here's the facts, here's the deal, this is what happened. And when you see the godly characters responding or you see God responding, usually he's saying, Nope. <laughs> That's not what I wanted. <laughs> Repent. A common word throughout the scriptures. Change your mind. You know. So, anyways. Uh, so Proverbs 6.32 says, Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Isn't that heavy? It's heavy. Because marriage and sex is, is about more than, than, than just having sex, more than just that, you know, 30 seconds. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bad joke. It's more than just the physical act. Jesus says that we're to deal with lust in our hearts drastically. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. This is not how you look at someone else dealing with an issue and saying, well, that's a bad guy. We need to punish him this way. Jesus is saying this is how you deal with you. You. It's how I deal with me. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't make ways for you to get away with stuff. Cut them off. Do whatever it takes. Because the other side of it is that when, um, in, in, let's say, the case of a man giving himself to lust, to pornography, or to adultery, um, the other side of that is the weight that a, a wife bears. Um, and certainly it can be inverse as well, but the weight that she bears and saying, what have I done wrong? And, and comparing herself and saying, why doesn't he want me? Why doesn't he love me? Why am I not enough? All of those questions, all of those realities, you know, that, that can crush a woman's spirit. Furthermore, it's been said, Whoever divorces his wife, don't worry, there's good news. <laughs> oh, we're not there yet, but <laughs> there's good news. <laughs> Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, there were two main in, in um, uh, early Jew. No, I say early, but in, in around the first century, there were two, uh, I would say, primary camps of thought related to uh, divorce. Um, uh, they followed the teachings of two particular rabbis. Uh, one was more conservative, and one was more what we might say is progressive. Okay, and one camp uh, because the Moses in the law said, uh, if a man finds any uncleanness in his wife, he can give her a certificate of divorce. Right. So that's a pretty generic type of statement, right? If a man finds any uncleanness in his wife, then he can give her a certificate of divorcement. And by the way, women. Uh, had no legal authority, so you can't divorce your husband. <laughs> you know, not not really. Uh, there may have been some caveats for that at some point, but that was. Uh, this is a very. We're talking about uh, historical, incredibly patriarchal societies. Okay, 
So, um, in fact, in Jewish society, a woman's testimony uh, was not valid in court. If you witnessed a crime and you were a woman who witnessed the crime, your testimony would not be counted as valid uh, to testify against the person who committed it, right? So they'd have to find two or three other witnesses, uh, which is one of those things that's a beautiful and amazing about the fact that the, the women were the first to see the resurrected Jesus, right? And to bring the message, right? The witnesses, right? Isn't that, isn't that cool how he just just shatters all of that stuff, you know? But So this is the society that we're talking about where uh, Jews would say, I pray, I thank you, God, that I was not born a Gentile, a woman, or a dog. It's nice. It's real nice prayer. <laughs> uh, dogs are not considered domesticated animals. They were filthy, you know, ragged animals so uh, <laughs> anyhow whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce the law had said Moses had said in the Torah that uh, if a man finds any uncleanness in his wife then he can give her a certificate of divorce uh, and we're going to get back to the marriage thing in just a second here this whole conversation obviously is rooted in it the two main ideologies or thoughts about this were centered around one being very conservative that said the only uncleanness must be sexual sin, sexual immorality. It's that generic word. In fact, Jesus is going to use it. Pornia uh, is the root word there. Uh, it's the word we get our word pornography from, but it's uh, sexual morality. It's an umbrella term that includes various forms, various types of sexual sin. Okay? Um, that was the conservative group. The more um, progressive uh, type group said, uh, if a woman overcooks your food, you can divorce her because she's unclean now. <laughs> uh, or if you see another woman who you like more than your woman, then you can divorce your wife because now she's she's unclean by comparison to this other lady who you really want more, you know. So you can write up your certificate of divorce and deliver it, and that's done. You just give it to her, and boom, you're out. Done, you know. But I say to you, Jesus says, I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. So, it seems like what he does is he takes the, certainly the more um, conservative viewpoint here. Right? I'll wait till the coffee's done. <laughs> he takes the more conservative viewpoint here. And he says, whoever divorces his wife for any reason other than sexual morality causes her to commit adultery. And I find this a, a fascinating idea, um, and, and, and I wanted to go back and read a lot of the laws in the Torah, but there were, and we get to oaths next week, we might do this, we're not going to do oaths this week, but... Um, when we get there, uh, we may go back and read more of this. But there was a uh, a very real responsibility that a husband had to his to the women in his life to protect them, to take care of them. In fact, um, men were required to keep their oath. If you made an oath, if you swore to something, you must keep it. But if a woman made an oath and her husband, or if she was a if she was a, a virgin or not married, and her father disagreed with it, they could nix the oath that she made. In, in in which sounds like oh well that's terrible or whatever. But like what if you make like a really what if you say something really stupid? You know, like having somebody who who is able to help protect you, I think is a wonderful thing. Um. And that idea, that tradition is something that we see later on, like when Paul writes uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians when he talks about the way that a, a man is to deal with his virgin, and the idea is his virgin daughter, whether or not he allow, allows her to get married or not get married. Remember, this is these are very societal things, okay? It was very a normal part of their society, right? And we'll talk about that, of course, when we get there. For this conversation, I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual sin causes her to commit adultery. Why is that? And 
I think really the next line sort of says that whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. This is in the context of what has been said. Moses allowed divorce in the case of sexual morality. The weight of that reality was so real, so true, and, and I think so heartbreaking that it can indeed destroy a marriage. It can doesn't have to, but it can, and frequently does, so much so that Moses allowed divorce because of that. Jesus is going to say that uh, later on in uh, Matthew 19, uh, when he's asked about divorce directly. I want to go there um, for a sec. Here in Matthew 19, they, they ask him about it. And they say this um, in verse 3, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him. They were trying to, to trick him, saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Which is sort of the more progressive, like liberal viewpoint. Can a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and boot her out of his house for any reason? Right? Um, so he answered and he said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Because the language that Jesus quotes there from the Torah, the beginning of the Torah from Genesis, essentially says what God has joined together, nobody should tear apart, right? That doesn't leave any space for a divorce. So their question is logical. Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? <laughs> the language is so pictured. Just put her away. Just, I'm done with you. It's crushing, man. And he said to them, Moses, it's heavy. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. So Moses gave the law in the Torah, and he allowed divorce to happen because of the hardness of hearts. But from the beginning, it was not so, which is, of course, a reference back to earlier in the Torah, in Genesis. And I say to you, he's going to say it again, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now there's some, some obvious questions related to this, some very direct ones, and I want to handle uh, some of them. Um, I may not go over all of them, so if you do have any other questions or any other things that you'd like, you know, to talk about, um, email me, text me, whatever. I'd love to talk about that more with you if you're interested. Um, but I think that uh, Jesus is, is very clear about um, the intent, both of marriage. A couple things I want to say. First of all, um, a legitimate marriage uh, has never been a political, um, state-run issue. It was only about a hundred years ago that uh, the states even took it upon themselves to legalize marriage itself. Marriage was a private contract before that. And, of course, anybody can enter any private contract they want to enter, <laughs> you know, whatever. But and then the states uh, began to recognize that there might be benefit to society by recognizing marriages. And, of course, then when we instituted the income tax and we give uh, benefits to, you know, married people uh, for their taxes and other things like that, you know, so now the state is all wrapped up and involved in what marriage is and what it isn't. But I don't really care what the state says because I'm in a different kingdom. I am a foreigner, a traveler through this world. 
Jesus said, God is the one who did this. In the beginning, this is what marriage is. This has always been God's intent from the very beginning of creation. He says it there. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one body, one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Direct, clear. Can't get any more clear than that. The only thing we can do is say, well, I just don't agree with that. (laughs) Which is, of course, what culture says. (laughs) But Jesus is just very simple. This is what the Torah says. This is what the Word of God says. Very simple. Now, why would a man divorcing his wife for any reason other than sexual morality result in her committing adultery? Doesn't that sound terrible? (laughs) Sounds horrible. Horrifying, right? Well, uh, you know, in um, um, many ancient cultures, she could just, she wanted to, she could just, uh, I guess, remain single and be a beggar the rest of her life. Have no money and no food and nothing. No one to take care of her, no one to help provide. She could do that, I guess. It seems that the assumption is that she then would would find someone else to be married to. And so if her first husband left her, divorced her for any reason other than other than sexual morality, then then this becomes an issue of adultery. There is a legitimate place where a divorce can happen that is recognized in the writings, in the scriptures. And it's when there has been adultery, sexual sin. Jesus recognizes the weight of that, the heaviness, the difficulty. It doesn't have to be. In fact, I think that we have a a great opportunity in those situations to demonstrate like what the prophet Hosea was called to demonstrate, and that's really hard. Hosea was a a man of God who was told by God to go and marry a prostitute, and so he did, and he he married her, and he um, brought her into his home and, and had children with her and then she eventually went back to prostitution and God speaks to Hosea and he, again and says, Hosea, you go back and you get her and you love her. So he goes back and he gets her and he loves her. And then she does it again and then God says, Hosea, go, get her, bring her back. Hosea was a prophet and God said, this is how I am dealing with you, Israel. You keep going off to these foreign lovers. I, I have betrothed you to myself, he says, and you keep on giving yourself to, adult, to, to adultery, to idolatry. It's, it's an illustration of, of idolatry, worshiping all of these other things rather than me, and I keep coming back and rescuing you. I keep coming back and getting you and coming back and getting you. Isn't that a wonderful, beautiful illustration of, of God's love? And we get to demonstrate that even in the, the heartbreaking struggle the weight of sexual sin in a marriage. But because it is a legitimate ground for divorce, then it's there. Paul lists a couple other things later in 1 Corinthians. Paul talks about how... um, he encourages believers who are married to unbelievers to stay together uh, with their spouses if they're willing to live with them. But he also gives a legitimate ground for um, uh, abandonment, where a spouse abandons another spouse. Um, one of the things that I think is important to recognize is that um, 
oftentimes when there is sexual sin with one partner, it can in many ways lead to sexual sin in another partner. It doesn't have to, but again, we're talking about real life, okay, and the choices we make, sometimes in anger. Uh, also, uh, when there is something like um, desertion, if one spouse deserts another, that too then can uh, can result in sexual sin so that there is no... Uh, not necessarily um, grounds for divorce just because of the desertion, but because uh, it then ends in sexual morality frequently, that then may become the grounds for divorce. Um, Paul talks about um, how um, he wasn't he wasn't trying to make things be uh, a prison. but we're called to be to live in peace. You know, I don't think there's one of us who hasn't been um, affected in some way by the realities of the conversation today, the realities of, of adultery, sexual sin, and its corresponding reality of lust and um, divorce. We've seen it in our um, families and amongst friends. And others, maybe some of us have experienced those things. Uh, certainly sexual sin and certainly um, uh, possibly divorce. Uh, one thing I do want to mention before we move on from divorce is uh, what Jesus says, or sorry, what uh, the Lord says in um, Malachi, uh, in Malachi. <laughs> uh, Malachi 2.16, you know, sometimes people talk about why the world is going the way that it is and, and why things are such a mess in society and all of that. I Personally, I think a lot of it is related to the breakdown of the family unit um, of this God-instituted um, marriage, a man and a woman um, serving, loving each other, um, being united together, as we say, till death do us part. Um, what God has joined together, let not man separate, that sort of thing. So, so Malachi uh, 2, verse 16, uh, the Lord says this, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. It's pretty straightforward, right? For And then listen to the, sort of the why, if you would. For it covers one's garment with violence says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Violence. We live in an incredibly violent society, don't we? With the breakdown of the basic unit of human government, which is the family unit, a husband, a wife, and children in subjection to them. With the breakdown of that unit comes the breakdown of every other governmental unit. With the breakdown of that unit comes the reality of children who... Full of anger in their hearts because they don't understand what's going on with their parents or violent. And we could talk about there's so many areas where this plays out in 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 history with unjust laws separating families and people not knowing what to do with that so they get a divorce or do whatever because their spouse is, you know, gone in prison or whatever. And we see entire segments of society broken apart. The Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce because it covers one's garment with violence. Whew. 
heavy enough? Is it heavy enough today, guys? <laughs> Let me read to you. Uh, a couple more things. We'll finish up here. says this, we can't talk about marriage, divorce, and these things, I don't think, without coming back to this uh, sort of heart text of how we relate in our uh, marriages. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to the Messiah, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Man, that sounds horrifying because I am a husband and I am an idiot and God is like <laughs> submit yourself to your husband in everything Whew. you know if I was a if I'm a wife hearing that I think my First reaction might be to say, Lord, will you protect me? Because my husband's an idiot. <laughs> but you see, that kind of is the point. Because God is saying, I want you to be in a position where you need to depend on me. Not on him, but on me. Not on me, on, on, him, on the Lord. <laughs> no, not on your husband, but on the Lord to protect you, even when your husband is an idiot. Think of Abraham, when Abraham took Sarah and, uh, you know, to Abimelech or whatever, and he's like, so um, Abimelech's like, man, that lady right there is pretty fine. I'm going to bring her my harem. And Abraham's like, she's just my sister, bro. Go ahead and take her. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> you know? And if, it, you know, he did it once and, and uh, God protected and preserved them, and then like the dumb male that he was, he did it another time years later. <laughs> and God protected her, even in the midst of his stupidity, because she just trusted that God would take care of her. And not only that, but God also protected Abraham because of her obedience and her submission. And it's a beautiful story which of course is referred to later when uh, wives are told to be like daughters of Sarah, to be like Sarah. You know, so. um, anyhow, verse 25 of Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives just as the Messiah also loved the church and gave himself for her. Well, how did Jesus love the church and give himself for her? Oh, that's right. He died on the cross. He gave up everything that he had for her. All of his life for her. For his bride. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, for he who, uh, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. Remember, because a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined together with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. That's what we're to do with our wives, um, nourish and cherish them. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. See, there's this wonderful picture of our marriages, that they are to be about more than just you being happy from day to day. In our marriages, we have this opportunity 
to demonstrate the love of Jesus, to demonstrate the faithful obedience of Jesus' church uh, to Jesus. I mean, this, this is big. Marriage is, is bigger than just whether or not you're happy from one day to the next. And in fact, I think in a lot of ways it's in our in in that which ought to be the most intimate of relationships that you have with another human being. Not just physically intimate, though that's true, but emotionally, uh, spiritually intimate. And and you can't that stuff doesn't happen without time, without conversation, <laughs> you know. we get to show to a world that doesn't that doesn't realize how much God will just keep loving them. We get to show that as husbands to our wives. So we just keep loving them. Because there are things that I guess I don't need to go into Obviously, men and women are, are different, quite obviously, right? And this is why together we have this great privilege, this privilege of, of helping our kids, this privilege of, of being light, in a society full of unfaithfulness, we get to say, I'm going to be faithful to this person. <clears throat> so, whole conversation really brings me to a place where I have to say, God, thank you for rescuing sinners. Because it me. Help. Lord, help us. great news is that he does. He forgives. Maybe you've been involved in sexual sin. Maybe you've experienced the issue of adultery, not just in the heart, maybe just, maybe also in the heart. <laughs> maybe you've wrestled with divorce. God saves sinners. He loves sinners. This is our great news. And he comes to you and he says, I will, I will be in you. I will be with you. I will change you. I will work in you. And, and so we have the opportunity to say, if we will, Lord, that's what I want. Lord, I want you to do that. Will you, will you do that in me? Will you transform me? Will you make me more like you? And less and less like I was, and less and less like the world around us that, that, that doesn't know him. It's pretty simple, right? <laughs> In the beginning, he made the male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, cling to his wife, to his bride, and the two people shall become one flesh. So, what God has joined together, it's this mystery of the union of marriage, consummated in sex, yes, but so much bigger, so much more than that.
which is why you know, Paul's talking about later on he talks about sexual sin in the church and he's like Jesus is in you so like when you give yourself to a prostitute it's like Jesus sleeping with a prostitute yo that's messed up homie this is a paraphrase by the way because <laughs> your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit so don't do that with it right that's the idea like stay away from that right <clears throat> I'm thankful that we serve a God who restores and who rescues and who forgives think of the woman caught in the act of adultery caught in the act of adultery don't know what happened to the man doesn't matter quite frankly it's irrelevant to the story at this point but but Jesus is able to say to her neither do I condemn you go your way and sin no more that is the grace that we're talking about and that should should wash over you as it relates to to all of this issue where you and I have failed and we say Lord help me to be that kind of gracious to my spouse that kind of gracious to the people around me help me to 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 be kind and, and gentle Lord and, and patient because I know those are the things that are that are of him so um, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your incredible grace.